Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P. Today, March 10th, recording this on the night of Major League Baseball agreeing to their new collective bargaining agreement brought the one guest who I knew I had to talk about this with, my good friend and cousin Nick Burrow. Welcome back, buddy. Hey, man. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. The news broke, and we had been talking about a podcast to go over this topic, and we could wait no longer. You know, we had to we had to get into it. We had to bring you on. It's been a couple of weeks, a few weeks, um, actually, I think a couple of months since I, you know, last posted a podcast. So, no better news, you know, to come back with <laughs> a little come back from baseball, come back at vicious talk with Benny P, come back at spring training. We were talking about like a, spring is in the air almost, you know, spring's like, <laughs> you know, the themes of, you know, that season is rebirth and like, you know, new life. We're coming back here in a, a lot of different ways on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm excited. <laughs> no, a little no, bit of a stretch. Make, no, I like it. It makes sense. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with the news. Obviously, I'm very excited baseball's back, but I got to tell you, I, I think the, the work is not done. The last thing you want is for whenever this collective bargaining agreement expires for this to happen again. I still, you know, I'm really excited. I'm very happy, but I still think baseball is in a delicate spot because, you know, on the field, the product is just waiting to be set up for, you know, in my opinion, like a golden age of baseball. We haven't seen this many young players, you know, young, talented players yeah. all at once. Since the ever. steroid era. Since the exactly. steroid era. And so, what was the steroid era? It was the the number one lockout, reason why right? baseball, you know, was, re, was revitalized after the 94 oh, yeah. lockout. So yeah, similar things. Yeah, it's go time. I just absolutely don't think that the sport could afford to do something like this again. So, you know, whatever needs to happen for them to figure it out and, you know, not allow friction between the players association and major league baseball needs to happen. I, I, I just hope yeah. they don't sit on this and I hope they set themselves up, you know, yeah. set themselves up for success kind of going forward. I think there's two different ways to look at this, um, and as a, 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 you know, some of the most passionate baseball fans you'll find in our, the two people talking on this podcast. I mean, we're part of, of I'm, I'm sure, a group of people that look at this deal and think about, you know, what was accomplished and the long term impact it's going to actually have, and 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 the, the players' efforts. And really, it was just an, an excellent display of a unified union you know, a unified yep. front coming together and, you know, setting out goals for themselves. They, what they want in this off season as, as a group, as a collective unit. And they accomplished quite a lot and, and got a lot done for themselves. That's going to help future generations of baseball players. And what happened in 2016, you know, five, six years ago in the last collective bargain agreement, like the players really got shafted in a lot of different ways. Right. Um, and it was really difficult for them to, you know, regain some of the ground they lost in those previous yeah. negotiations. And that's yeah. what I think a lot of the struggle here, you know, was was born mostly out of um, the fact that yeah. the owners had so much power and so much, you know, financial gain of, you know, the bigger biggest piece of the pie. And, you know, the players were trying to, you know, get what their their due was, you know. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the owners got greedy um, and it might, you know, stuff like this might not be super apparent to the, you know, a little bit more casual fan. But I mean, you're talking about if you look at the revenue generated by baseball, 
you know, baseball players get compensated well, but these guys that are at the lower level, these minor league guys or guys that come up for brief stints, they struggle. You know, yeah. I know them, you know, them. They, they, they struggle hard. And, yeah. and these, you know, the players association hats off to them for, you know, fighting for the little guy. Um, and, you know, hopefully with this, you see less stuff like, you know, service time manipulation and, and, you know, you know, these penny, these penny pincher billionaires that are, you know, like you said, 2016, there was a lot of taking advantage of, the last CBA um, you saw yeah. it all the time. And sometimes it was sold as excited. Right. I remember when Chris Bryant was coming up as a rookie, it, the the tagline was like, there's like posters of him in, in Chicago before he was even on the Cubs. And it was like worth the wait, yeah. you know, and it's like, okay, but really, what are you doing? Like what you're doing is you're manipulating his service time. So you don't have to pay him as much, as much money as he's, you know, he's due. And in any workplace situation yeah. outside of baseball or sports in general, People should be fairly compensated. You know, it's just yeah. simple. There's a certain demographic of sports fans um, that will look at that whole dispute and talk say like, oh, it's millionaires versus billionaires. And I have no sympathy for either side. And they just need to get it done. And, and I think that's a very short-sighted, narrow-minded point of view. Um, kind of a yeah. cursory understanding of what's, on, what's actually transpiring in the sport, um, in my opinion. Yeah. But... For those types of people, like I would just say, like go in and look at some of the anecdotal stories of like the grind that these people go through to get oh, to yeah. the highest level of this sport. One of like, my coworkers was telling me today he played, he got to double A. The most money he ever made in a year was twelve thousand dollars. It's it's a grind. It's twelve thousand dollars. Not every baseball player makes they, fifteen twenty million. So many it's minor leaguers even... are are homeless or living oh, with yeah. like 12 other teammates living mm-hmm. in their cars sleeping on the ground before they're, a game and they're, they're growing like developing athletes trying to be, put themselves in the physical prime of their lives and they're feeding on like pb and j's and ramen like you, you you would think that these teams would develop more of a support system financially for these players that they invest so much in you know down right. the road but there was really no incentive for, you know, Major League Baseball and the owners and the organizations to do this, really. And right. And then a lot, and, a lot you know, what, yeah, and a lot of people don't what, uh, you know, is news to some people are, you know, and I think it kind of clicks in their head. People need to remember that the commissioner of baseball is assigned by the owners. Yeah. So, right, like, I think there should be new structure to that. I think that's a whole nother conversation. That's probably something that I, I'm not even qualified to talk about, but I think in general, when you have these billionaire owners, they have the commissioner of the game in their back pocket. Yeah. Somebody's going to get the short end of the stick and the players, you know, have been getting that, but it's, you know, it's polarizing and it's hard to see because you see players like the likes of, you know, Tatis and Kershaw that are making just absurd you know, amounts yeah. of money, but those are the minority, right? Like those are yeah. the minority and, you know, the average, these billionaires. It's, I think that the average time span of a player in the league is like less than a season for like the, the mm-hmm. it, for everybody that makes the, the big leagues. I think it's like way less than a season. So well, people, most people forget like all time big leaguers is under like 25,000 yeah. all time. It wouldn't yeah. fill a stadium. That's a crappy crowd at Dodger Stadium, right? <laughs> like, it's it's shocking the amount of people that even make an appearance in the show. Yeah. So this is much needed, much needed change. I'm glad they finally got it done. Frankly, you know, I was sad that we were locked out and 
the threat of missing games was, you know, terrifying, but ultimately I'm glad that the, you know, the players stuck to their guns. It's a, and, it's a growing pain for sure. Quite yeah. the growing pain of, of a process, but in the end you look back and I think there's a lot of positives that came out of it. You know, obviously yeah, they're going to start, you know, they're only missing two weeks of, of ball and they're going to start just in time for Jackie Robinson day on April 15th. That was the big day that, you know, all baseball fans had their eyes on that. Like we got to get, you know, the league back by that date uh, because it's the 75th anniversary for that uh, Jackie yeah. Robinson day. So it, it'll, be, it'll be a great they baseball day. Yeah, for sure. And, <sighs> And, you know, I'm in Arizona, too. We also experience like the direct impact of like the lack of spring training has because tourism really is like a big, t- a big deal to the Arizona economy, like around this time of the oh, year. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And so it was kind of weird not having that around the you know last couple of weeks when it was, you know, it felt like it was time for that. And so I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, there was a lot of good that ended up coming out of, you know, that whole process. And, you know, I think that a lot of what the players accomplish is gonna you know be good for the game it is and you know the owners too the mlb mlb has some pretty good ideas particularly and you you said that we we will talk about it eventually is like the rule changes the on-field adjustments i think a lot of what they're trying to do with that aspect of the game is actually pretty positive and i think that they have a decent vision of how they want the product on the field to look like at the very least yeah. You know, yeah, I have some interesting feelings about that. I mean, I think improvement is good no matter what, but with, I think baseball, it's tricky because, you know, in my opinion, baseball is one of those sports where, um, you know, you have your casual fan and you have your fans that don't really pay attention, but you know, they talk about growing the game. I, I don't know. And, and just to give an example, like, you know, the, the length of the game has, has really been a big conversation um, you know, the time spent watching the game and it's a long season. The games are long. That for me, I, I don't think shaving off 25 minutes on average per game is going to bring in new fans. Well, that would be pretty I significant. Get, 25 minutes is a little bit larger than what I think their highest hopes are. That's a, that's a I, yeah, but yeah. even so, I, I, I think, yeah, it's just like I, I you could shave off 30 minutes. I, I just don't think that the sport is designed to for somebody with, with a short attention span, right? Like you can, anybody can go to a baseball game and have fun, but if you're trying to, you know, breed fans for life, all time baseball fans, I don't think the length of the game is really something to target. And I think what this CBA has done is it's made the players happy. It's set them up for success going forward. And the product on the field is ultimately what's going to get it done, which is a shame why it took this long to get them back. You know, because you're not going to grow the game by locking out the players and not having baseball. Yeah, I think that more so the problem with the re- the pace of play problems is not necessarily the long the longevity of the games, but actually the action that takes place within the time frame of the game. So That's the fair. goal the goal shouldn't be you know to shorten the the game, but to increase the amount of time that players are moving. Things are happening yeah. that you, you're, yeah, you're, you want to watch the game. So I understand like that a lot of that well, – part of that effort is to minimize the amount of time that you can have guys standing around on non-baseball activities. Just, you know, yeah, spitting, spitting in the dirt, you know, pounding your glove, mm-hmm. like adjusting your belt. Like those types of things can be, you know, abbreviated. 
to say the least. Right. And I mean, yeah, you know, if you're going to go to a game and you Darvish something, that's the man, easiest it's going to be a four-hour game. It's the easiest thing to yeah. address, and I think that right. it's the low-hanging fruit, and that's ultimately why those efforts are made. But I mean, the the other you know part of it, I think, is you know having more action on the field with like plays. Like you want like Theo Epstein, he he spearheads the Major League Baseball committee com- uh, committee competition committee where he's just trying to improve the product on the field primarily now um, for baseball. Theo Epstein, the former Red Sox GM, Cubs GM, won a couple of World Series titles. You might have heard of him. Um, he, <laughs> he he talked about how important, you know, Major League Baseball views and the fans view, you know, by speaking with the fans, they find this out, that people want to see, you know, doubles, triples, stolen bases, guys in movement, you know, things happening. Mm-hmm. And that's the goal. And I think a, a lot of what they're doing now, you know, makes sense with that strategy, you know, behind, yeah, you know, trying to, you know, possibly, you know, but they're going to talk about banning shifts or at the very least, like keeping all four infielders on the dirt. That's, that's what I saw the rule change would be. So, I mean, that means you're going to have, you know, less guys in the outfield. It means more extra base hits. That's solid. You know, like that's, those are the types of things that are going to improve the game. Um, and I, and I don't think it's as simple as shortening it. You know what I mean? It's, which is what you were, you know, kind of saying you don't like. And I think that, there's a lot of good things that these rule changes are going to help with. Yeah. No, I mean, you can only hope, um, you gotta, you gotta hope that the people in charge are, you know, they have the game's best interest in mind. So that's, um, that's it does seem that way. Sure. Yeah. It does um, seem that way, but you, you hate to see the, the financial stuff kind of get in the way of that. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of financial stuff, you know, the players in total basically netted, an extra like $500 million of extra revenue coming from like minimum salary raises up to like two. It's like the minimum salary now is going to be up to 700 K. It was at 570,000 last season. So that's quite the booze luxury tax thresholds are up. Now Um, teams are going to be spending more. There's going to be a higher pre-arbitration bonus pool, you know, which is really incentivizing players that, you know, the first time about guys who have played zero to three seasons in Major League Baseball, they're pre-arbitration right now, and they're basically set to make the minimum salary, and the only way they make more than minimum salary is if they play well and their teams give them right. bonuses for playing well. And, right. you know, Shohei Otani, you know, comes on the on the scene, and he's I, I think he was making, making minimum salary when he first came into, the, into the, the league. He plays well, and they give him, like, a hundred thousand dollar bonus like very minimal you know Pete Alonso yeah. led the league in home runs what he had 50 plus home runs broke the rookie home run record and he you know still makes barely over minimum minimum salary so right they, they're improving the ways that guys can make money earlier in their careers and that's always good for, you know for the players yeah. it's earned it's earned yeah I mean so many of those young players especially now in the sport like across all sports, you know, young players when they first come onto the scene are really, you know, making impacts right away. I know. I mean, the game's younger and younger and younger. I remember when we were growing up, we were talking about, uh, you know, the teams that we grew up with. You know, the 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 median or I guess an average age had has got to be four or five years older than it is now. I yeah. mean, these guys are coming up. They're so you know, young. 19, 20 years old, yeah. impact players. There's guys like Acuna, Soto, Tatis, Vlad. Like, those guys are so young that, like, they have an opportunity to have, like, 20-plus year, year careers and right. be, like, historically excellent based on, like, the numbers 
of what they and what what they end up yeah. with, you know, because and not made, not only are they, they just so like exciting, so yeah, not yeah, exactly. Not not only are they just young and exciting, but they're these are impact players that are I all eyes are on them, right? It's not just like he's young and exciting. It's this dude could be an MVP, right? Yeah. Like every year, the MVP could be under twenty six yeah. years old, which yeah. is insane. Yeah, for sure. All right, other takeaways from you know the the bargain agreement, some things that you'll see going forward. The uh, possibility of an international draft, so players coming from international countries, um, you know, previously just signed by uh, they, each team was allotted a certain amount of money they were allowed to spend on international free agency. They have a specific budget, and once they meet that budget, they can't do it anymore, and you're done. You you can't spend any money on international free agents. That kind of process is going to be altered, possibly. You know, this was a big hang-up on the negotiations. Players don't want to force this issue. They don't want to rush the process of an international draft. Spearheaded, you know, that movement from David Ortiz, who you have to think is a pretty good, strong opinion in this topic, coming from the, the Dominican Republic, one of the faces of international Dominican baseball, and um, kind of talking about how important it is for them to get that right because that process is um, – we've already seen that a lot of people in international countries are – um, prone to some manipul- manipulation based on how that process has been managed over the years. Just been like yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people in Dominican have, you know, uh, used their you know personal interests to develop the talents that they do, um, and that's that's just a fact. Um, and yeah. so getting that right is important. They're, they they tabled that discussion of the international draft until like July fifth, July twenty fifth, I think. Um, so they have some time to you know, talk about what that would look like, what the possibility of when they would want to implement that. I think the owners want to do that by 2024. I think the players have kind of a goal of 2015, I mean, 2025. Um, and, you know, the the qualifying offer is the other piece of that negotiation where if the players decline the draft, the qualifying offer where, you know, free agents are given the qualifying offer. If they decline, they're, they're tallied with a draft pick compensation if and if if the team signs them, another team signs them, uh, that right. that process would go away based on the international draft. So if the players accept it, they get rid of the qualifying offer. If they deny it, then they're going to keep it. Um, if that makes sense, it's kind of a long winded answer for that, but um, yeah, I mean, I think with the international draft, they're what baseball is trying to do is you're trying to get rid of the some of those like you know handshake deals yeah under the table a, a deals. lot of shady type of stuff that like i don't yeah. I, I mean i know i have a cursory understanding of how that's worked but like everything about the reporting of how that's been handled is just kind of not yeah not 100 percent kosher to say the least yeah i mean look at i mean my padres aj preller he's gotten in some heat for that yeah um I mean, the padres have a complex down in the dominican republic which is not illegal that's fine, There's a lot of teams you know, to but... do yeah. yeah, but I think theirs just got revamped recently, and it's like suppose you know supposedly one of the better ones, and I you could you see that like a lot of those handshake deals, like hey, look at what we have, like think look at what like we can 12, do. Twelve, thirteen years old sometimes, like exactly. A handshake deal. Which, I, I think Adrian Beltre was actually like the will always be like the youngest player, like the last youngest player to sign. He was like I think thirteen or fourteen years old signing with the Dodgers. And I think when the Dodgers signed him so young, like Major League Baseball made a rule after that, like, I think you have to be 16 now to sign. 
Maybe yeah, 17. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, Do- the Dodgers signed Beltre so young that he um, they got they got in a little bit of trouble for that change to that system. Um, another thing coming out of the agreement, by the way, um, you know, just moving on the draft lottery, um, mm-hmm. the, the amateur draft now going forward. It's going to be 20 rounds. That's what it was last year. They're going to stick with that format, and they're going to be doing a, a, a lottery now. The final result of the negotiations resulting in. A six-pick draft lottery for 18 teams that don't make the playoffs each year. Um, the goal is to kind of prevent tanking. Um, a little bit of a twist for small market teams. They now can only pick in the draft lottery for two consecutive years, while large market teams can pick just once in the lottery before sliding down to 10th. So the incentive is like, you know, mm. they're, they're giving the small market teams a little bit of, a, of an advantage in that sense, um, making right. it easier for them to you know, if they're a bad team perpetually, how, making it more easy for them to, you know, try to rebound. That would be uh, interesting for a team like, I think of the first team that jumps out is like Oakland. Like yeah. a team that historically doesn't spend a lot of money, you know, r- large emphasis on scouting and, and player development and stuff like that. You know, it would be interesting to see a team that doesn't spend a lot of money, but has found some, you know, regular season success at least um, to kind of see how that plays out, you know. After a couple of years of this, yeah, we're gonna have a a twelve team playoff now. Last season was the expanded playoffs, and it was only ten. So now we have two more teams. The top two division winners are gonna get a buy. So you want to be one of the top two teams in your league, the American League or National League. That's the goal. Um, the third division winner has to play in the first round. I don't know where they landed on like the ghost game. Like I think they were saying like there was gonna be like ghost wins possibly. I I, I don't I think they're doing that. Really hope that's not a thing. Really hope not. Um, For me, I think I, I think the playoffs are sacred. I mean, yeah. I think you know the whole point of 162 games is that it's an absolute grind. I th- and by the end of it. You're yeah. hoping that you and make that's it. that's why the players and, were insistent on not having 14 teams. Um, yeah, 14 is too much. If you get half the players or half the teams in baseball or almost half making the postseason, then it's just like there's not really – what's the incentive to win your division? What's yeah. you know what's the worry? At that rate, you're going to get um, – you're going to get your like 82 and 80 teams into the postseason. And then, and then you start talking about like ghost wins and stuff. I, for me yeah. – I think the whole point, the whole reason that the season is so long is that it's a grind to get to the postseason. You want to separate because you want to separate teams. You don't want teams all competing for. Uh, I mean, it's right. it makes for fun marketing, like uh, for fun events. But you want you don't ideally want a bunch of teams meeting on game one sixty two all tied for this. Like, yeah, to, for for the last playoff spot, like you right. don't you don't want a ton of that. I mean, it, it does make for you know, a fun day of it game one sixty two. Right. But that's not what the goal is. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like Yeah, well I think it should be if you're gonna end up like that, it should be two, three extremely qualified teams. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. then that's great, right? Then it's the cream of the crop. And my <laughs> philosophy has always been just get there. Just get yeah. to the postseason because then it's a free for all. I mean, like and, in the NBA, they got they got this play in tournament now, and you got the Lakers and the Pelicans in the West set to make the playoffs. Like, neither of those two teams are playoff teams this year, <laughs> right? But they're gonna make the playoffs. Well, but it's not technically actually the playoffs, but they're gonna make the play in tournament for the opportunity to make it into the right. playoffs. Like, it's kind of desanctifying the, the nature of you know making to the postseason, earning that regular season honor. Uh, you know, you played well all the way through X amount of months, X amount of games, and you mm-hmm. earned the right to play on. 
And it should, yeah. like you said, I agree with you. I, I leaned towards the player sides on that. Um, but what I would say is what I thought was interesting, you know, the absolute, like the players were absolutely okay with the 12 team expansion playoffs. They were against the 14 team playoff, but they said they were open to it if the owners were more, were willing to give more in certain aspects, which they weren't. But, you know, the 14 team playoff was on the table somewhat. At least it wasn't absurd. I think that the willingness to expand the playoffs shows that the league has their eyes set in the not so distant future to expand to more cities. And I think that was, I think that's what the understanding was, is with baseball right now. I think that they understand that they will be adding more teams to the league in the not so distant future. I would say within five years, we will have two more teams in major league baseball. Uh, That's interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. Vegas. Let me give you my city. Uh, yeah, it's Vegas. Obviously Vegas, and uh-huh. I think it's Nashville. I think Vegas and Nashville. Nashville would be fun. I could see. I could see a place like that getting you know real behind a baseball team, kind of a little more salt of the earth down in the south. Yeah. Um, I think it's to be. I think it's going to be Nashville and, and Vegas. I think those are the two teams. The two. The two towns. It, it'll be interesting to see how they balance that. I, I would assume one AL, one NL team. Yeah. Um, obviously. Um, but it'll be interesting because right now all the divisions are five teams, right? It's all it's all square. Yeah. So it'll be so a sixteen be be division. Right. Yeah. It'll be kind of interesting to see how they go about. Um, They're on both of the well, central. That's what it used to be, right? The central used to have one central team. Central had all those teams. Or had They're, six, and the the west yeah. was four. Right. It was the west was four, and no. and the central was six. Yes, because Houston, Houston yeah. was um in the central and now they're the al obviously so um anyways yeah i mean that's it's certainly interesting i could see how that you know the the playoff piece of that would kind of shift a little bit when you add two extra teams there but um but yeah going back to what i said i I think the postseason's sacred i think that these guys you know their emphasis is to you know grind out a good season and then once you get there anything can happen it's a toss-up I mean, yeah. think about think think about like like wild card teams that have won the World Series. First I mean, one the that Braves comes to mind year. is yeah, the Braves, right? Like who like who would have thought at the All Star break? Yeah, Braves yeah. are going to make a run. They were right? underdogs or, the whole way. They were underdogs literally. Like when they got to the World Series, they were underdogs. They were underdogs yeah. the entire way. Every single series of the postseason, they were underdogs in, and they went and and made upset everybody. They they won the championship. Um some pretty cool other things that I thought that were um, touching on the topic where you were trying to say like Major League Baseball was impl- uh, manipulating service time. Um, they did address right. that in some subtle, more subtle ways um, in the agreement. Like the players, uh, there's incentives for if you're in your rookie season, if you finish as like one of the standout rookies, um, you get um, you get a full year of service time. I think if yeah, you're exactly. first or second in the rookie of the year. Yes, yes. Which is great. I think that's awesome. Right? Oh, yeah. Top two finishers in the Rookie of the Year race will get a full year of service. So they basically that's reach awesome. free agency one year early. That's awesome, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, four players great. every year. That's pretty cool. You have that incentive to go These after get, rookie yeah, year. Yeah, you should be able to get paid, especially if you're a breakout well, now it places player. more importance on that Rookie of the Year voting. For sure. <laughs> For sure. It's right? not, and you know, you know what I do? You know what I love? I love that it's first and second place. 
Because then you get yeah. your guys that are like marginally that you know lose yeah. marginally, and they could play like half the season sometimes. Like they they could sometimes yeah. get called up like in June and and make an impact early, like right when they come on the scene. So yeah, that that that'll be really interesting. A little bit more of importance placed on the baseball writers who who vote that that award. Um, oh yeah, don't get me started on the baseball writers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another thing too uh, that I thought was cool. So teams that have rookies on their opening day rosters can receive a draft pick each season if the player finishes among the top. I saw just the top rookies or the top five in in in, in the uh, MVP or Cy Young balloting. So like basically, oh, wow. if you have rookies on your opening day roster, if those rookies do really well then you get extra draft picks. That's kind of cool too for teams yeah, too. Yeah, game's, game's young and it's just it's, getting younger. I love it, that. It deters teams from doing that that ploy of having them mm-hmm. sit in the minor leagues for a couple months to start the year and then bringing them up to manipulate the service time. You know, now right. they have some incentive to have them on the team right away as the season goes um, if they're ready. So, Which, by the way, shout out to my San Diego Padres for starting Fernando Tatis Jr. on the opening day roster when they did not need to. They could have done what they did and they extended him early too because he's a pretty he I mean he's he's both a good and bad example because bad example because you're not going to just see a bunch of Fernando Tatis Juniors coming through organizations that they don't grow on trees. But it's a good example of what can happen if you, you know, have faith in your players and your emphasis is winning baseball games, it shouldn't matter how old he is. It shouldn't matter how much money you can save by screwing with him. Put him on the field, let him perform, and make it to the playoffs. I mean, I, that yeah. I think with a lot line. of what happened with this these negotiations, a lot of the outcome suggests that a lot of the players feel that same way. Um, and a lot of people, I think, in right. the sport feel that same way, where the business should be about the sport and not about – you know, trying to manipulate time played on it and on the field and manipulate this and that. Like it should, it, there should be less politics with how the the sport right. is is managed. And I think that a lot of what happened in these negotiations suggests that a lot of people agree with you and agree with us on on that sentiment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some final just thoughts here on on, on the agreement. This the new CBA. Um, I think that in in, in all. In total, like it was a bad look from the from the public's vision of of the sport. Like people were already down on the sport, and they were like, "See, look at this! Like baseball can't get it together." And I think that it'll be tough for the sport to get out of get the stain, wash that stain off of themselves. Yeah. But in all, I, I think it was a historic feat of what happened. The players accomplished a whole lot. Like I said, over five hundred million dollars in just new money coming to the players. That's great. That's great for the sport. Great for you know the guys start trying to make it in the in this sport. Um, and it was pretty impressive how in, in just any labor dispute, you don't see that, that quite of you, of a united front of, you know, right. laborers, basically mm-hmm. this, this is a labor dispute and the, the workers, you know, created such a united front that, you know, the players are, are an incredibly diverse demographic of people. Like they go from yep. all over the world. You know, the only thing that unites them is baseball, and and they were able to come together and, and be pretty unified in this whole effort. You didn't see any players talking about, you know, let's just get it done. Let's let's compromise. Let's take the bad deal. Let's just do it. Yeah. So like you got to feel like I didn't see a single player suggesting that. I didn't see anybody. No. 
So yeah, you know, like you said, United front, and, and they was, got it done. I, that was that was historic. Like not just in the sport, but like in labor disputes in general, almost like just the economic antitrust theory. I mean, like a you know study of that that realm of you know a history of what's happened in in labor disputes, antitrust disputes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully they they you know keep stay steadfast and um you know, keep fighting the good fight. Cause like you said, it's all about what's best for the sport. And I think we saw that. Some things we might see on the horizon. Like I said, the international draft, that'll be another issue to keep an eye on some, the, the players um, are trying to get done some more things with just having some age based free agency. Um, that's something that, you know, a lot of this stuff, the owners don't really want. They want the players want age based free agency. That's really tough. The players want just like more revenue sharing, uh, that's always going to be, you know, an, an ongoing effort for the players. And they also, the players want to do the two-year arbitration. Um, like, you know, how the, the four players, like we said, get the extra year of service time. They want every every rookie to get that that same gift, but that's going to be an ongoing fight as well. So keep an eye on those topics. Right. Um, we might see those things pop up in the next negotiation process. Um, but it's nice to finally be over the over the hump with this one. Yeah. No, it's uh, yeah. You said it best. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Some things we missed, man. <laughs> no, it's it's nice. It's it's finally just it's behind <laughs> us, and we talked it over. Yeah. We we're done with the CBA. So things we yeah. missed out on from this whole process, you know, we go into the next. You know, spring trains a week away now, and mm-hmm. there are over two hundred unsigned free agents. We had a very oh, limited free agent season this year. And it's a class that's riddled with a lot of talent, and there's a lot of exciting players who are still not on teams right now. You were talking about Carlos yes. Car- Carlos Correa, Chris Bryant, Trevor Story, Freddie Freeman, Nick Castellanos, Clayton Kershaw, Kenley Jansen, Anthony Rizzo, Michael Conforto, Kyle Schwarber, Nelson Cruz, Carlos Rodon, Zach Grinke, uh, World Series MVP Jorge Soler, World Series hero Eddie Rosario, Tommy Pham, your guy from the Padres, Joe Kelly, not my guy. Jock, not my guy, Jock Peterson. There's <laughs> a lot of good players. You so you don't want Tommy Pham back on the Padres though. No, I don't. But <laughs> that list is so impressive. I mean, there is what four like potential MVP wonder, candidates in right? there. And I wonder if they're going to get a little bit more money now. Our team's going to be a little bit more willing to give them the money that they were asking for. Because right. of the fact that the salary cap is now, I think, twenty million dollars more than it was last year. You know, the mm-hmm. the uh, the luxury tax threshold is is the competitive balance tax is a little bit less. Like, I wonder if a little there's going to be a little bit of that that extra you know, um, spending power, purchase power. So it'd be cool. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's going to be a chaotic be week. It's going to be a chaotic week, Nick. There's going to oh be a lot God, of stuff the, going on. The stove is so hot. It it, it is could steaming. Set up, it could possibly set up the greatest baseball news week ever because it's going to be a full off season of news compacted like trash compacted into one week yeah every single day boom this guy signed boom this guy signed <laughs> bam look at that trade, trade. Like, yeah <laughs> you dude you know these gms are chit-chatting on the side yeah you know they're like hey as soon as this thing gets done like let's <laughs> let's come on <laughs> like i said 200 it, unsigned free agents there's a lot of stuff to go on it's and not, you want these guys even like salary arbitration guys. there's there's arbitration cases too <laughs> yeah, and, and you want these guys in the dugouts for spring training. Yeah. You want these guys getting acclimated to their new teams. Yep. Yeah. 
There's, you there's can't, coaches. Like, there's new coaches that haven't met their players yet either. Exactly. Dude, new managers. Padres got Bob Melvin. This guy, you think this guy's just was waiting to yeah. send that group text? Like at whatever time, what time was it today that it happened? Like 1 p.m. or 2 p.m.? Right. They, you got to imagine there was a- They're all on Zoom oh, tonight big, too. They're all- Big on, yeah, big group text like, hey, now we go. There, now we go. I would guarantee at least half the teams had- like team wide Zoom calls tonight to like discuss uh-huh. the game. And they're plan. all screwing around just being ball players. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> At least half did that. I'll say this historic from a historic perspective in nineteen ninety five when the work stoppage ended in the last um work stoppage, you know, in Major League Baseball, there were one hundred and forty free agents who signed contracts during a three week period in April. There were ninety five wow. in the first week. That was back in nineteen ninety five. I think we're yeah, going to see a whirlwind of just chaos this week. I know, especially with, with social media now, it's going to be so magnified too. Yep. Like it's not waiting for the paper the next day or, you know, listening to talk radio. It's, it's hot. Yeah. You know, I, these, yep. these Twitter profiles are, are the, you know, all these insiders for, you know, major league baseball are just going to be having a f- absolute field day. Yeah. Jeff Passon's not going to be able to type right? fast enough. I know. Speaking of this post social media, dude, like the, I thought that baseball Twitter was like, incredibly entertaining over the last couple of weeks particularly yeah. like you know there's been some really great baseball analysts and like and just faces of the sport that really kind of separated themselves at, at like their jobs basically these analysts mm-hmm. are like these reporters who just like like are their job is to just talk about the health of the game and try to grow it and try to you know right. promote like the health of baseball and like there was guys like, you know, Jeff Pass, like you said, Ken Rosenthal, Ben Verlander was excellent. Although he wasn't even reporting the news, he was just commenting on it and he was excellent to follow. You know, Bob Nightingale had the specifics of everything at all times, it seemed like. Evan Drellick with the athletic, he was excellent. Like John Heyman had a lot of specifics. Those guys, like, don't, much credit to them. Like, they did their jobs 24 7 over the last couple of weeks. I'm sure all of them are just like heading to this season exhausted already about this whole process like this they've 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 run they've run a full season of reporting within a couple weeks and now they gotta start a new year and they have they have um you know a lot of rest to catch up on i bet before the season starts yeah i think i saw pass and said something he's like i never sleep and it's true like i don't know when he he got hacked today his twitter got hacked today just that was funny man the that biggest so news funny. day of his life, pretty much. And his, <laughs> and his Twitter account gets hacked. Too funny. <laughs> Did you see on Twitter, Bernie Sanders was was making some comments about baseball? I thought yes, his, I did. I thought that was kind of interesting what he said. Basically, I mean, I, I thought it was the greatest, like, it, it epitomized his political agendas, like, to the T, like, his opinions on baseball. Like, it, <laughs> I, it was like, if anybody, if you were to show me the words of what was written, I'd be like, oh, Bernie Sanders wrote this. Like, it, <laughs> like yeah. it, it was so obvious about like, oh, of course you, of course you have this opinion, Bernie, because it, again, you have an excellent, like a, a very creative, interesting concept that it's just, it's just like, well, good luck getting the support for that because that's not happening. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Was, well, yeah it, it might be nice, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> it was um he was just talking about how like he needs to uh he's gonna create some legislation in congress to um you know derail the oligarchs of major league baseball he called them um and right. basically just like make it available to baseball players to compete in other leagues basically to have like 
Major League Baseball competitors, like the replacement style, like League of Their Own, like just yeah. like creating a Sandlot League. Like that was what he was kind of <laughs> suggesting. And I was just like, all right, well, good luck getting that done. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I feel about that per se, but I will say it's it wouldn't be a bad thing for the elites of Major League Baseball to kind of you know, a little bit of some checks and balances in there. Let's get political with it. You know? Yeah. Like antitrust though, wouldn't be a bad thing. And he was, he was directly addressing like antitrust laws, like antitrust laws in sports are very intertwined. The history of antitrust within professional sports across the globe is, you know, very intermingled. Um, there's, there's been antitrust cases in every sport, you know, in today's right. world. And, um, it's, it's, it has, like one of the biggest things about the legal industry is is pre- predecent, like pre- and like w- whether or not you know the the history of a case, like what is the 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 earlier decision, basically. Mm-hmm. And right, yeah, yeah this yeah. would be so out of the realm of like what's been done before in professional sports that like it's just so unrealistic. I thought that was funny. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. well, definitely an outside the box thinker. That's for sure. For sure. All right, let's talk about. So the the idea of this next concept I wanted to bring you on to talk about, just like with the theme of baseball, we got a new season coming on. Like, let's talk a little ball now. You know, we're done. We're over the specifics. We're over the news reporting. Let's talk a little baseball. Let's start bringing you on. We'll talk about some unanswerable baseball questions, just unanswerable MLB history questions. What, you know, I, I, we were, we, we, what spurred this conversation was we had a back and forth debate. Started on Twitter, Went over to some text messages, went to a phone call, like a lot of back and <laughs> forth about something that was very small and unimportant, but it was as simple as Derek Jeter's flip play in the 2001 ALCS against the Oakland Athletics, where he's basically fields the right fielder's throw on the, on the first baseline, flips it to Jorge Posada at home, who then turns around and, and tags Jeremy Giambi just in time. And <laughs> I thought this was a hilarious conversation that developed between us that I was like, this is a podcast segment and we're going to be doing this on the podcast. So are, are you well, ready? Hey, I'm ready. Look, look, it's a great play. It was a great play. Now, do you want, do you want to give your point first or do you want me to give my point? Uh, okay. So essentially it was, I thought this play is a historic play, excellent play, like unreal legendary play. That you know was in the in the scope of Major League Baseball history in the pantheon of the sport, like is one of the most significant plays of our sport, um, and one of the most iconic plays of our sport. And so, I, I think that this play and many other plays they can be that, but also can be expected. I think the play was clutch. I thought it was athletic. Thought it was cool. I thought the timing, you know, would have been great. But my point is, I think the play is slightly overhyped for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's overhyped because of the situation. If this play happened in May, people wouldn't talk about it. I think, like, oh, I that was, think that's that justified. Cool I, I got to say, I think that's justified. But I, I, I think that's fair. it is, but I think it's justified. And so part of the reason why I think this play is overhyped, and this might be lost on people that haven't, you know, spent hours on a baseball field doing uh, cuts and relays. But let me just to break it down with a runner on first base <laughs> and a ball down the right field line, you go into what you call a double cut or tandem relay. 
Now, the idea is you have two guys going out down the right field line or wherever it is in the outfield. Let's use this place specifically down the right field line. That would be the second baseman and the first baseman, right? The outfielder's job is to get the ball to one of those two infielders who is their objective is to cut down the runner trying to score from first base. Now, a ball that goes to the outfield wall typically is called a sure double, a sure double meaning he will, the runner, batter runner, will have no problem getting to second base. The emphasis on this play, specifically this play, is to get the runner at home. One, in this situation, he was the tying run. Two, he was a very slow runner. Three, this is a playoff game. These are all three things that every single person on the field should know, and they did know. Now, the shortstop's role on this job is not to cover second base, because why? We just said It's a sure double. He already has second base. Unless he trips and falls down, he gets second base. But no, but but every single shortstop is going to second base when this ball's hit. Every single one. Every single shortstop. You're you're you are correct. Well, at least take a few steps towards second base. You your job is to patrol the middle of the field. You should be hanging out somewhere near the cut of the grass in front of the base. Okay, a few feet. Let me finish. Let me finish. Up second base in that direction. They're not. They're not sprinting to where she feels. Let me. Let me finish the reason you go there is because if somehow the runner at first is extremely fast and makes it all the way over there you want to have a man near second base in case there's a throw but the play is designed to stop the runner from scoring or to throw him out now why jeter was there what i can't stand what i can't stand is when people say there's no reason for him to be there now, this is why, and this is why, where we disagree. My, my, my college coach, he coached players to the likes of Chase Utley, Troy Gloss, Dave Roberts at UCLA. He has a lot of buddies that play in the big leagues. He actually has the handbook from the 1999 New York Yankees defensive worksheet. If you look at that, you look at the diagram on that play, there is an arrow from the oh, shortstop position. Oh, you didn't tell me this was toward- from the 1990 Yankees playbook. You didn't tell me this. So well, it's in it's in every playbook. This is a baseball <laughs> play. The shortstop's rule on that on that play is to one redirect a throw that gets past those two infielders that are out there, or three, or no, that's his only role because he's not covering second because we've already established he's going to have second base. There's no reason for him to be there. Third baseman's covering third. The pitcher's covering behind home plate. Now. Derek Jeter's job on that play is to redirect a throw, but <laughs> Jeremy Giambi, who's unbelievably slow. Was it Jeremy or was it Jeremy? Jason? Jeremy. Jeremy. Unbelievably slow runner. If the ball goes over <laughs> those two out, those two infielders, which it did, okay. Derek Jeter's job is to be there. Now, one, was it a great <laughs> athletic one. clutch this is play? Like yes. Six. This is six, whatever, seven. <laughs> My point is, and it's a, it's a straight up fact, Ben. He was late. He was late. He got there late. If if oh, if the play was done over and over and over again, and I promise you, I promise you, anybody listening to this podcast, runner at first, runner at first. That's it. even bases loaded or first and second ball down the right field line. Watch the shortstop. I promise you, he's hanging out towards the middle of the field. The only reason. You don't see this play more is because outfielders and you know baseball players in general at the major league level are so good at hitting a cutoff man. There's no reason to overthrow them. 
if he tried to throw that ball all the way from the right field corner to home plate, runner's safe. There's no way. It's a relay play for a reason because it's the longest throw, longest possible throw is one that's near the wall going to home plate. So basically the play doesn't come up a lot in the major league level because they don't infielders or outfielders don't miss those cutoff men. There's two of them for a reason because it's a difficult throw. It's a difficult throw to get it in as fast as you can. But in that case where it goes over both infielders, the shortstop's job down the right field line, not on any of the other ones. (laughs) down the right field line is to redirect that throw. Derek Jeter was late to the spot. So he had to run, catch the ball and flip it. If he was there on time, it would have been a lot more routine. It would have just been like, Oh, good. You know, defensive heads up. My point being that this play is overrated is because it's literally in the manual shortstop. This is your job. Jeter made it look great because he wasn't there early. And and (laughs) another point that I I would like to, I got you. And that one last thing, last okay, thing, another okay. point I would like to make, given, <laughs> given his knowledge that the tying run is yeah. a slow runner at first base, there's, there's literally, you don't care. As soon as he hits the ball, the batter runners in scoring position, doesn't matter if he's on second or third base, his only focus should be like, we need to get this guy at home at any cost. If for some reason, the right fielder is an idiot and overthrows both middle infielders are the first baseman and the second baseman. I need to be there because we might have a shot because he's slow. Right yeah. now. I, 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 I rest my case <laughs> on that. There's some things that uh, I want to okay. point out about that play really quick that are really bad. That have nothing to do with Derek Jeter. The interesting things about this play one outfielder missing both cutoff men cannot happen Two, <laughs> the on deck batter, not indicating for Giambi to slide horrible. Okay. Giambi, just slide anyways. These are all things. No, this play never would have been on ESPN <laughs> if Major League Baseball players didn't decide to just have an absolute brain fart, right? Yeah. If the on-deck batter is behind home plate and saying slide, 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 the Derek Jeter flip play would not exist. Yeah. It would not be a thing. Yeah. So okay. a lot of complex Lo- play, God, whatever. God bless the listeners. They have heard as much about Derek Jeter's flip play as they ever want to hear in their lifetimes and nick puts up a very compelling argument nick i i agree with a lot of what you say but what i will say is Derek jeter had an absolute knack for timing in his career just in general smart player he savvy was, player he had an unbelievable knack for just always not just like being at the right place at the right time but just like even like he's late to this play technically he's late but I would like to challenge that like not many shortstops would have been earlier than him. And he was like just just on time enough to get Giambri. He wasn't early, he wasn't late, he was just on time. It's like it's like Gandalf in, in Lord of the Rings is like a wizard's never early, <laughs> a, wizard, a wizard's, a wizard's, never, wizard's late. never late. A wizard is arrives precisely right what he means to. And and part of that <laughs> is Derek Jeter's clutch gene. He understood exactly how to make that play look the way it did. And what it looked like was absolutely bonkers clutch and historic and unbelievably just exciting play in baseball history. And that's what I'll say about that is I just think that it was a great play. It was a great play. But Ben, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What I said about the Yankees handbook, if it is written down on paper and universally understood (laughs) that he needs to be there, then how can you say it was perfect? 
it was perfect no, in that he, he got it, it was, done perfectly. It was perfect in, in retrospect. Like he didn't like he was like he could have been earlier. He but not many shortstops would have been earlier than him is what I would but say. How can you say that not many shortstops would have been earlier if we can agree that that's how the play is supposed to be run? Because I don't think how any shortstop that seeing that ball hit and immediately sprinting to that spot of the baseball field. I'm not saying sprinting, dude. It's a jog. It's a it's a casual. You jog over. The and, ball went is that not what Jared? Is, that's what Jeter did. All right, all right, all right. All the way to the corner. We, we digress. It's a very complicated play, and I would recommend if you haven't seen it, you, I don't know what you're doing with your life. Go check out that play. It's amazing. <laughs> go Jeter. watch the Jeter play. Even yeah, if you go don't watch like baseball. It. It's a great play. All right, Nick. This brought on just like unanswerable Major League Baseball questions. Do you have any like? theories of major league baseball history like what if this happened differently like what's the biggest like linchpin what if baseball moment you could think of well i have a personal one for me 2007 game 163 tiebreaker versus san diego padres versus the colorado rockies came down to i believe the 11th inning maybe the 10th inning uh matt holiday was the tying or go ahead run oh. winning run at third base? Yep. Sack fly to right field, throw to home plate, throw is dropped. Uh, Holiday goes in head first and doesn't touch home plate. Umpire calls him safe. No replay. Now I'm thinking if they had replay, that's it, he's out. Yeah. He, like the replay clearly shows his hand did not touch any part of the plate. Now, look, I, in my opinion, the Padres <laughs> were a decent team that year. They shouldn't have gone to game 163 anyways. But the Rockies went on to go to the World Series and yeah. lose to the Red Sox. I would have loved to lose to the Red Sox in the World Series that year as a Padres fan. I'm not saying the Padres would have gone to the World Series. I'm just saying if there was replay, which I think has been generally a good thing for you know 90% of the reasons that it's that it's brought into play. But I wanted stuff like that. I wonder if you had replay. You know, there's been foul, there's been Bad foul ball calls and stuff like that are, are game changing calls the over the years. 2005 Angels pat, uh, drop third strike. Oh, Pierzeski! Oh yeah, my goodness, that pisses me off. That give me a roommate. White Sox, roommate. Angels. He absolutely hates Pierzeski for that one yeah, play. That was a brutal <laughs> play in Angels history. What about what if Rajay Davis his home run in 2016 against the the Cubs in Game Seven, bomb of the eighth, facing Rawls Chapman? What if like? That what if the the rain delay never happened? What if that home run, you know, it tied the game six six in the eighth? What if the Indians, you know, went on to win that ball game? Win that game. Like, what if the rain delay never happened? What if the Cubs just were so deflated? Like, is that Rajay Davis home run? Is that like the biggest home run since um what's the what's the the Joe Carter walk Joe, Joe Carter or the um Mazeroski's walk off homer for the for the Pirates back in like one night the fifties uh, or something, the only World Series walk off home run ever. Like I wonder if like that well, where not, where Davis's home run would sit in the pantheon of like historic home runs. It's gotta be up there. I mean gotta be up there with your David Freezes yeah. uh game time triple on the walk off. Um gotta be up there with uh, are, are we talking just home runs or are we talking plays? I mean, this was a home run, but I mean, this there are home, some home like... run, but I'll tell you what, one of my favorite plays of all time, 2004 ALCS game four on the brink of being swept down one against the greatest oh, closer. You're tearing on up the my heartstrings. You're tearing Dave up my heartstrings. Roberts. 
Yeah. Dave Roberts, the stolen base, the stolen what, base. probably the biggest stolen base of all time. Would yeah. you agree? I it, mean, it, it, probably, could you narrow it down is, to one it more? Is. No, gotta there, be. That is gotta the be. one stolen base you just will never forget. And, and then when he it crosses the home run with the fist pump, you can in see it every time. You know oh. where you were. You know oh. where you were when this happened. Great, yeah, great the, one. The jump fist pump. That's a great one. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, that home run for Davis was unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. I went back and I watched it. I was watching and. It was impressive. It was 2-2 for – he fouled off like four pitches, and they were not easy pitches. Like, he's choked no. up like three, four inches on his bat. And yeah. Chapman is throwing 102. He's like, he's throwing gas. And he's or just BBs. fouling – he's fouling things off. Like, he's – Chapman's like, how am I going to get this guy out? And then he just throws like a slider on the dirt, and Davis just goes down and golfs one into the corner. Oh, my god! That was a beautiful – That was a, barrel, such baby. a clutch hit. Such a clutch hit. What if – in the theme of this podcast, we talked about the the, the uh, work stoppage this year. What if back in 1994, the strike didn't happen? What if the Montreal Expos went on to win the World Series that year? It seemed like they were destined. Um, you know, would they have stayed in Montreal? What if the Nationals were the Montreal Expos instead of the Nationals? Like, what would that look yeah, like? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's a whole market of baseball. Um, you know, I mean, we've seen Blue Jays games, how crazy they can get in the postseason. So, you know, that Canadian baseball flavor, you know, it'd be kind of, it'd be kind of cool to, ha- to have that in my opinion. I mean, I mean, Toronto has really had... rallied behind the Blue Jays when, and whenever, whenever Absolutely. they have the, the postseason, that's a big yeah. fan base. I mean, those, that, those Expos, they had great players. Oh yeah. Vladimir Guerrero. I oh, mean, you're, you're scratching the surface, like Bartolo, yeah, no, Brandon, yeah. Brandon Phillips. Like I'm not, I mean, Larry Unbelievable Walker, rosters. Uh, yeah. Reigns, Tim Reigns. Oh yeah. There's been a Randy it, Johnson yeah. was on that cool. team. I mean, I, I, I love it. I love their uniforms. I love the colors. I think, I think they would look great um, in major league baseball. Now. I don't really know what the market looks like for Montreal. If you know, any shot of them coming back or anything like that. But I don't think so. But there was talk about the Tampa Bay Rays splitting time between Montreal and Tampa Bay, but that didn't go through. Um, what if Mickey Mantle never tore his ACL in his rookie year? So Mickey Mantle's oh, rookie man. season, Joe DiMaggio is a trout? center fielder. He's, he's Joe DiMaggio's like, he's kind of washed up at this point in his career. He's in his last leg. Doesn't want to give up the center fielder spot to the young, you know, blossoming Mantle. Makes him play, uh, I think he was in right field infamous like fly ball mantle trips on a storm grate tears his acl off the, on the storm grate what if that never happened is mantle you know the greatest of all time is he is he yeah he's is he trout like trout for 20 years i mean the question is a legitimate one no it's joe dimaggio, very, very, is, I... joe DiMaggio is kind of an asshole kind of kind of not a nice guy <laughs> fair <laughs> question mark one of the greatest of all time like kind of fair to be a dick <laughs> towards the end yeah maybe all right what if a-rod <laughs> went to boston in 2003 instead of the yankees that's one of my favorite ones and you know what it's funny that we're talking about collective bargaining agreements because i don't know if you, you probably do know this but uh big reason why he didn't players association said no yeah they said no the implications that A-Rod going to the Red Sox is so interesting because basically for anybody that doesn't know, Players Association said no because A-Rod was essentially taking a pay cut yeah. to go to Boston. And that was why they, and the they reason, said no. Because yeah, he, and the reason you say cut. no is because he's the best player on the earth at that time. You know, making one money. of them. Yeah, and you can't, you can't sign the greatest player to a certain amount of money because of what that does is that no player – who's potentially close to A-Rod's, you know, level of talent 
will ever, you're never going to pay anybody else more than the greatest exactly. player. So it kind of would have set the tone for a lot of bad things to happen. But I mean, Boston had a good team in 03. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure they, you know, um, obviously they go to the world series. That was next year, but like, I, it might've been, might've been absolute dominance for, for Boston. Yeah. If he went to that team, I mean, I think who was their shortstop that year? Oh, three, Nomar. like Nomar, Nomar, right? Yeah. So they traded him Nomar in the 04 season. Out. They traded him in the 04 in the season. For season. Po- Pokey Reese and, and Omar and Omar, uh, Omar Cabrera, right? Cabrera. What's Orla- what was Orlando, Orlando Cabrera? Cabrera. Yeah. I mean, dude, a rod in a Red Sox uniform in that lineup. Could you imagine like 2007 Red Sox Ortiz, a rod, Manny? Are you oh. kidding me? That would have been oh unbelievable. The, red, the 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 shockwave of that not happening, like there were so many players that went to different places because that never right. happened. There was just like mm-hmm. so many changes. So it's really tar- it's hard to capture that impact of Aaron. Not I wonder how much that affects um, the Texas Rangers. I yeah. mean, the Texas Rangers were paying a lot of Arod salary for a while when he was a Yankee. Yeah. I mean, that's a break for the Yankees, and then Texas, you know, kind of a history of paying bad contracts a little bit like your angels but um <laughs> Ooh, low blow low blow all right time to wrap up the podcast <laughs> all right. hey man if we're talking low blows i'm a Padres fan there's plenty of stuff to work from <laughs> all right last unanswerable question so during this work stoppage if baseball never returned if baseball never came back which major league baseball stars would be pl- best at playing other sports and and why like for for Major League Baseball athletes, they're unleashed into the pool of professional athletes. Which players in Major League Baseball would do best in other sports? Um, I mean, hard to ignore Trout. Uh, you know, terrific athlete. Name your sport. Looks like name, he... your, name your sport with Trout. Well, Trout, probably <laughs> any of them. Um, but I'm going to say football just because he's a brick and he's extremely yeah. fast. It's hard to um, not, not just envision him as a running back at being basically right. like I mean, he's Christian breaking McCaffrey. through people and yeah. yeah, breaking through people and just un- like how unbelievably fast he is for how strong. Um, I mean, in your notes that you sent me over here, you got bets and bowling. It's hard because you'd have to define the way you say best because hasn't Mookie bowled multiple 300s? Yeah, he's bowled more than two. I think at least two. So it's hard. So do you think like the question becomes like, do you think Mookie's a better bowler than like Trout would be at football? Because it's like, I'm going to say yes. Maybe. Is that fair? Like, I don't know. Because Mookie (laughs) can still go play. He can still bowl after every baseball if he wants to. That option's on the table for him. Trout, you're not going to see trout playing football anytime soon but um it's interesting no yeah. it's super I like, interesting i like the otani in basketball was kind of interesting to think about otani's so big and like strong like that size six, and strength. Six, six, five. he's like six six so he'd be like a small forward maybe a maybe uh-huh. a, sh- a shooting guard he, you think he, he's got he, a shot you think he oh, can shoot I, it? he's got a little bit of a touch i think he's got it man he's he's an athlete <laughs> he's he's right yeah. on his feet he would he would he would have an excellent spin move like he would go to the basket he he played tough defense. I think there's some good there's some good golfers in Major League Baseball. I think too. There, I, there's got to be. I think some you'd really be surprised. Golfers. There's some guys that are. Isn't Verlander um, like excellent, like world class almost? Yeah, like I think he shoots like four or five under when like on an yeah. average round, which is unbelievable. That's I mean, being scratch is good enough, but um, I've heard yeah I've heard the same Verlander, unbelievable. I like the uh, your, your guy Tatis. I, I I can I can envision Tatis on the soccer field. You know those light feet and just like 
the the pirouettes Don't say that about my and, boy. and and the footwork. Like imagine him on a soccer field. He would be. I think he would be like Ronaldo almost. Yeah, I guess. I'm. You know me. I'm not a big soccer guy, but <laughs> you're right. I can see it. It wouldn't surprise me. He's got the hair. He's got the swag. Yeah. You know. I thought it. I thought. Um, he, I think he oozes a soccer vibe, like an international soccer sensation. Yeah, but he's ours. He's ours, Ben. He's ours. <laughs> you didn't even like. You don't like the thought of it. <laughs> no, uh, he's the, mine. <laughs> the last one. The last one gets me. My idea. Jose Altuve as a jockey. That I was like, that, love it. That was the I best. I think you should That's do that anyways. Yeah, that was that was the number one guess for sure. I can see him just standing up on one of those massive horses. He would look so tiny next to one of those big old stallions. <laughs> Aaron Judge on the football field would be cool. I was trying to think like, oh yeah, Judge, yeah. Yeah, Giancarlo. He's so big. Oh Giancarlo. my God, he's ripped. Yeah. yeah. So the, it it would be fun to see some of the players like participate in other sports. Like there should be like that should be what all star games are. Like have like the best players in baseball play a, a game of pickup basketball or like a, a, a yeah. flag football. Like that would be cool. Well, I think they should do like baseball related things, but like like skill like the, the how they do in Japan, like the skills yeah. challenge, like best yeah, bunter. Cool. Um, they should do they should do like wiffle ball, like stick ball. Yeah, over the line, just like fun, you know, little fun thing or like pickle, like you know, even like the NFL, something. like at least like they gave them like the dodgeball tournament and like the quarterback right. throwing, and the punting competitions. Uh-huh. Like there's some things like baseball is just a home run derby. That's that's it. I think that what they should do is they should have a day instead of the celebrity softball game. They shouldn't do that. They should do like some kind of combine of like fun skills. And then that, what that should determine is like your order for the home run derby or, or like maybe like winning team gets an extra timeout or, or like AL versus NL. Like or, NL gets or what about like, like just NL. like fastest pitch versus fa- furthest home run? Like just have pitchers, like that. have pitchers agree to just only throw fastballs as, as fast as they can and let the, some of the biggest hitters go into the box and be like, who could hit the hitters furthest home win. run? Who hitters would win, for but sure. Like, you, you're monitoring the pitch speed and, and how far the ball, the ball goes. Like you, that'd be pretty cool to just see people throw it as, would hard, be cool. as hard as they hitters can, as far, hit it as far as they can. That'd yeah, be pretty cool. I think if big league hitters knew what was coming every time, they would win. They, they would win most competitions. Because yeah. the pitch mix changing speeds at that at fastballs coming 98, like DeGrom is legit. You know, but I guarantee you, if hitters knew that he was only well, throwing fastball, like, it, it's it, like you know, it's not going to be easy to hit a mile. But if they're throwing as hard as they can, like they might, ben, they, ben. They might there will be some blasts. If like you have Degrom throwing 100 miles yeah. an hour and you have Trout swinging as hard as he can, trying to hit it as far yeah. as he can, like that would be cool. He could hit like 500 feet. Probably, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just with absolute confidence that he's bringing fastball. Yeah, you, you're right. Yeah. All right, Nick. That's gonna wrap up our baseball conversation. Any last thoughts on the, the current state of the sport? Um, no. Excited just, for it to be back. Uh, I'm really in the same vein. Excited for the off season. I, I mean, we touched on it already, but one week off. Season. I think that <laughs> I think that teams that are in positions to win are gonna get better, and I think that teams that are approaching positions to win are gonna get better. Um, I hope to see some guys to get paid. I hope uh, Jock Peterson. I can now admit that I've been a huge Jock Peterson fan his entire career, even when he was a Dodger. And I bring him to San Diego for him. I, Hey, I'd be down. Send Hosmer to the moon. Let him play first base. Give Jock a full season. Why not? Why not? Send Hosmer to the moon. Let him play for the, for the moon stars out there and the monsters. (laughs) All right. Yeah. 
one last thing, Nick. We brought you on the podcast. We want I want to talk some Star Wars with you. There's been a lot of ongoing developments in this in the Star Wars world. Both big fans of this topic, huge, and this is another fan. another thing we both share. Um, and wanted to bring you on to talk. Your, what are your thoughts on on you know the current state of this this world? Star Wars, Boba Fett just finished. The, oh, the trailer for Obi Wan just came out. Like, what are your thoughts on you know what's been going on in in Star Wars? Well, Ben, you're absolutely right. I, I was a Star Wars fan before I was a baseball fan, so this is real <laughs> close to the heart. Um, well, I think it's exciting. I mean, I, I have, you know, specific feelings about the, the, you know, the movies that they made. I was very excited early. The, you know, overall, we don't need to get into it. It was a little disappointing, but what I'll tell you is that it's so fun. It's so fun to have just more content of the world that we love. Like when we watched Mandalorian and Boba Fett, it looked like I was watching return of the Jedi and just looked to my left. Instead of watching the movie, I was just, what else is going on? You know, yeah. it's really fun. That's to interesting. Just, you know, the, you know, there's so many yeah. stories and so many avenues that, you know, this world that we, you know, we've been gifted with that. I, I think, um, you know, Mandalorian, the first episode, I was like, oh my God, this feels exactly like Tatooine right after, you know, right during, you know, Empire Strikes Back or right, you know, it was after Return of the Jedi, but like, it feels so real and like, you can get creative with it. You know, it's fun to dig into these stories that maybe, you know, weren't, they're not the Skywalkers, right? Like Boba Fett, universally loved character that had maybe, maybe 10 minutes of screen time total in the entire franchise. very limited speaking, speaking roles. Yeah, I mean, I could probably I could tell you all of his lines right now. I'm not going to do it because you don't want to hear that. But there, it wouldn't be hard. He's, uh, he's only you know five or six lines. Yeah. Um. So super fun. Um. You know, the Boba Fett show I thought was good. Um. Hopefully, it gets better. I really liked how they tied Mando into it. Um. Towards the end, Definitely. spoiler alert. Um. But just fun to to go revisit some characters, see some flashbacks. They get they got creative with some flashbacks. You know. Um, really excited about it. Very excited about Obi Wan. I think it's gonna be great. Yeah, Obi Wan is hope, kind you know of the first, they... the first since you know the original, you know the original prequels. The first time we're kind of jumping back into this world of you know one of the main characters. I mean, well, I mean, yeah. I guess you could you could say since like Ray and and the 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 newest trilogy, but like that's kind of its own thing. Um, really, just the first time we're gonna get back into the world of like. Obi Wan, Anakin, Vader, yeah, that. the main main characters, yeah, yeah, and it's 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 a piece of the story that's been completely untouched, you know, completely untouched. There's a twenty year gap there that we don't are well, twenty years. You know, Obi Wan yeah. does it at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Obi Wan's, I mean, he looks he's he's middle aged. He's like maybe late thirties, early forties. Yeah. By the end of you know, by New Hope, he's Al he, Guinness. He's quite the quite the old veteran there. He's he's hey, a lot of a lot of stress. <laughs> hey, this TV show should it, they got a lot of explaining to a do, man. There's a lot of stress going on a lot there. Of yeah, transition he lost a lot Obi-Wan. of hair, lost a lot of color. <laughs> what I'll say uh, to no, you about. It's great. No, I, I'm I'm with you there, and I think what the what the cool one of the coolest things about this whole revitalization of this world, um, I think it started with Disney Plus and and Mandal in the Mandalorian, is like the revitalized interest in this world for me because like I've always been a Star Wars fan, but I think that the Mandalorian like really encouraged me to take my fandom like even to like another level. Like I went back and I watched Clone Wars and I watched Rebels, like the two animated series. Yeah. And those are excellent, by the way. I highly recommend those if you haven't seen them. But like, 
there's just a lot of in this world that like it's fun to explore these stories that you didn't know about that is different from like the obvious you know luke beat yeah. darth vader and darth vader was anakin who was luke's father and he, he turned into dark like that's the main storyline like that's what everybody knows about star wars like oh anakin turned into darth vader like that's that's star wars and like well, there's so much more I, yeah i mean i always you know i was a massive fan as a kid absolutely massive i know all the words all the movies I, I obsessed over them you know but what i i always thought star wars is always a little polarizing because you know i talked to a lot of people like no i don't watch star wars i'm, really, I'm not really into sci-fi well, I'm not that much into sci-fi. I'm not really that much into fantasy. I mean, I like Harry Potter and I like, you know, the MCU and I love Star Wars and I love Lord of the Rings. But beyond that, it's not really my forte. Me too. But I, I, and I always thought Star Wars got kind of a bad rep for being so big. It still turned a lot of people were like, love it or hate it. And I think what Mandalorian did is it gave people that were maybe on the fence or not really into Star Wars they gave it gave them an opportunity to get it in small doses and kind of come to the realization like wow this is fun right like it's not really sci-fi like i don't need to be a sci-fi fan to watch this and enjoy it and i think like you're saying for you somebody who has you know a previous love for the star wars universe it you know kind of it revitalized that and then it brought in some other people that were like hey i could take this in small doses i've watched every content of star wars of the main, you know, the 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 shows and the movies, I've watched all of them within the like at least maybe twice within the last two years since the Mandalorian came out. Three years since those the Mandalorian came numbers. out. You got to get those up. I mean, I just finished another <laughs> rewatch of every movie yet, like the last couple months. Like, it's 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 so much fun to just go back and like pick up details that you never you never yeah. noticed and understand I how storylines develop films of like the stories you know yeah. like the rogue one I, and the solo love, i don't think i love those. rogue one i love solo like those, oh, are, those yeah. are excellent I, I love those so movies good. so good yeah yeah and, and i'm really looking forward to obi-wan Look, really looking forward to ahsoka too um ahsoka's yes. character um you know really only fleshed out in the animated series in clone wars and rebels a little bit um her whole storyline is just like one of the most fascinating in star wars you know she's anakin's padawan you know what that whole you know i can't imagine what that was like for her like after you know he became vader and you get a sense of it a little bit in rebels but like it's gonna be really cool to see i think they're gonna maybe bring in like talk about her search for ezra from rebels and yes they'll bring in sabine and the two of them will go look for ezra like that's kind of like what i'm thinking that the show is going to be primarily kind of focused around and that'd be really cool to to you know get to explore that storyline a little bit further too yeah ahsoka super good character very underrated universally loved by star wars fans who watched um yes. clone wars i think so excellent choice really digging so into many her. characters intertwined in her seen. too like so many yes. excellent characters can can be linked to ahsoka in different ways and so the creativity potential with that series in particular is pretty pretty i think vast like ahsoka's kind of show that like i have uh, really high hopes for like a lot of the characters that I know already, but like Obi Wan in contrast, like I don't really know what Obi Wan's gonna be about. Besides, you know, maybe they're gonna do some flashbacks of like his experiences, you know, from the lens of now he knows that Anakin becomes Vader, and they'll have some flashbacks of like what you know the signs were basically of Anakin becoming the potential you know villain that he becomes, like what that kind of transition is like. But like other than the fact that he's watching Luke Skywalker now on tattooing, like what is what is Obi Wan's journey? I don't really know what. Yeah. I don't know where the show is in there, and it'll be interesting to see how they flesh that out. 
Yeah, I think we'll definitely see some Inquisitors, you know, the Jedi Hunters. Yeah, that was in the trailer. Uh, I kind of look for them. That was in the trailer. So that'll be really exciting. I hope we see at least a couple sweet lightsaber battles. Um, yeah. I love me a good lightsaber battle. I love all of Star Wars, Maybe but I'm Darth definitely Maul. partial to the we Jedi. We talked about, before we hopped in the pod, Maul is like one of the all-time lightsaber um, so cool swordsman's and it'd be really I'll cool never to see forget when i first saw that dual lightsaber ignite when 1999 yeah. when it came up on this big screen i was oh, like oh amazing my the phantom God. menace <laughs> with so Jar Jar fun Binks. dude the, the highly hyped mo- under delivered Jar Jar Binks <laughs> <laughs> that movie gets a lot of flack but you know what maybe it's my nostalgia you no, know I'm I like a very opinionated a person I like it but I love it it's fun come on I it's do. just a fun time <laughs> alright Nick your most wild Mandalorian theory because I have one for you and I want to hear your thoughts but what is your most wild Mandalorian theory where do you think that the story goes now that Grogu and, and Mando are back together. Most wild? I'm going to go Grogu, dual Mandalorian, and Jedi. Mark it down. All right. I have one in a, in a very similar vein. <laughs> I think that the show, The Mandalorian, is named after Grogu and not Din Djarin. I That's, think. I, you know what? I'm, I, I'm with that because they kind of hinted at, uh, you know, Mandalore going back there, I think you know, Grogu, reclaiming it. I think Grogu is, is going to wield. I think he's going to wield the dark saber, and I think Grogu I, I could, is yeah. going to rule Mandalorian. I love that. I love that. I love that call because obviously he's not in the movie. He's not in the story later as a Jedi. And neither is Mandalore. So I think right. that's the only thing that makes sense because they can't kill Grogu. You brought you brought him into you the can't. universe. You can't. can't kill him. He's not going you anywhere, can't. and he's going to live to eight hundred, right. nine hundred years old like Yoda did. So right, what so happens he's around when Ray and, and all he, them yep, are. He you should know. be Ray. Like I, I'm, I'm curious to see where they go with the Ray storyline. You know, eventually they're going to do another movie with her. I'm sure. I'm wondering if yeah, they'll bring they him, Grogu and Ray officially. for another. You know, a little, oh, a little encounter. People, people's hearts can only take so much. Ben, <laughs> don't you know? We, Daisy Ridley with 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 baby Yoda. I know his name's Grogu, but everyone's going to call him baby Yoda forever. Yeah. That, uh, that's going to pull on some heartstrings. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I adore that little, that little green furball. He's, he's, uh, he's so fun rat, to watch. Little womp rat. <laughs> <laughs> they absolutely crushed it with him, man. They, they knew what they were doing when they designed it. I him. can't believe they just sprung that on in the, in the premiere of the Mandalorian and nobody knew what was going on until it happened. And yeah, it, it was shocking. Just perfect. He's just the it perfect, was... the most perfect little thing you ever, you ever did see. <laughs> absolutely jaw dropping. I was like, oh my God, it's perfect. It's, I it's, love him. I, initially, He's... my thoughts were, it's Yoda. But then I was like, wait, the timeline doesn't match up. <laughs> yeah, Yoda's dead. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's close it. Nick, what is your favorite Star Wars lightsaber duel of all time? Oh, that is such a hard question. Okay, so (laughs) my personal favorite, I'm going to give you my personal favorite and then what I think is best. I'm going to go best first. I'm going to go Duel of Fates, Qui-Gon, and Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul. Excellent, excellent. Just so good with the music, the... Uh, <laughs> you know, super so fun. Tense, so tense. So tense. You know, you're on the edge Qui-Gon of your seat, dies. sweaty, just like, yeah. oh my god, like. Qui-Gon not... was my favorite. You know, you get some revenge, <laughs> instant revenge right there. Awesome battle, super fun. The blue and the green lightsaber with the double red, so great. But my favorite, and this is a weird one. This is a weird one. My favorite lightsaber battle, and I have a reason, is actually Anakin and Obi Wan 
versus Dooku in episode two. And the reason is because I just adore Count Dooku. I think he's so <laughs> badass. He's so witty. That's and the he's one like, the lights go out, right? Yes. And Anakin's like, and then him and, and Dooku duel in the dark and they're both like, it's yes. ominous. They're both usually just their faces, right? Yes. Okay. When he kind of, he, inca- he like kind of, um, and then he cuts his, Anakin's wrist. he cuts his hand off. That's and, Anakin. Yeah, loses cuts his, his, hand, hand, right? his hand off. Um, but I mean, just the, the, like the, the 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 trash talking during you know okay. he's like master kenobi you disappoint me like, yeah Dude, just, he's just he's like kind of aristocrat even, even when he's yes. like even when his back's against the wall and he's no he's about to die he's still got all the confidence in the world i love that and he's like old but he knows he's saucy with it yeah um hey fun fact uh, the reason that uh dooku has the curved hilt lightsaber okay. is because christopher lee one of the best actors of all time. He's played literally everyone. He's played Dracula. He's played, he, well, you he's, know, he's uh, in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he's Saruman. Uh, I remember him from Lord of the Rings. I think of him as Saruman. Yeah. Saruman, yeah. Unbelievable actor, all-time actor. He's also um, an excellent swordsman. He was a fantastic really? swordsman. Um, yeah, like but going back to the Errol Flynn days, like fantastic uh, swordsman in all those, um, you know, swashbuckler movies. But the curved hilt is a little bit more intuitive for a one-handed user. And that's what Dooku is. You can really tell oh. in, um, in, uh, uh, Clone Wars. If you, if you notice, he's okay, a big yeah. one-handed guy. He does. He does have instances where he uses two lightsabers in Clone Wars though. Oh, for sure. I, I just mean, instead of two I, hands on the, on the hill, I think he's... it's pretty cool. Like when you see like the Clone Wars lightsaber fights, when they break out the two lightsabers, it's like, oh shit, these guys mean business this time. Like, like oh, you see yeah. Palpatine so and, and Dooku, like break out the two red sabers. It's like, oh damn. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you know, they're on one right now. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your favorite, Ben? What's your favorite? Uh, dude, I think I always am just kind of, uh, I think that my favorite it, one is the, most skilled fight of all time in, in Star Wars uniforms. Just like the battle of lightsaber skill is just like, uh, there's, there hasn't been a single one that's higher than this in my opinion. And then two, it's like it, the time of when this happened in my Star Wars fandom was so impactful for what it meant to me because I was so young and developing in my fandom. And it's, it's obvious, guess? you know it, right? You know, it, it's, a, it's Obi-Wan the obvious. Obi-Wan versus Anakin. Exactly. It's the Obi-Wan yeah, versus Anakin. So I mean, fun. the skill oh, level man. in that fight is... They're, they're unbelievable. Unbelievable, right? The I mean, passion. They know each other so well. They know their weaknesses. Exactly. They know every... It's oh, like literally, so it's, it's the ultimate yin and yang battle. Like this, like, yeah. there's no winner, really. And, and what it takes it's is so Anakin's good. stubbornness and his his confidence and his cockiness to to you know eventually do him in at the end i have the mm-hmm. high ground apparently having the high ground means you lose no matter what you win no matter what so um. <laughs> yeah a little bit of a cop-out but hey you know what i'll take it it was yeah. unbelievable battle the setting amazing on Mustafar what, you know, with they're, the they're literally like in a volcanic explosion and they're they're oh. fighting on top of droids on in the middle of a Beautiful. lava field like unbelievable emotional uh and, the you talking. Can, you, and i feel like the cherry on top of that scene is like you actually got a little bit of yoda versus palpatine in that in that scene too mm-hmm. when you watch that yeah. back because yoda and palpatine are fighting at the same time and that fight's cool because right. it's it's literally like the masters of each side basically but like yep. i think the skill level is better in the anakin and obi-wan fight yeah and those guys are like brothers yeah right? what, I mean, it, what were... it meant to the world like in, oh. to the star wars world that fight like oh, and it was so long it was so oh so good it's like a 20 oh, minute man. fight yeah you're right it's it's, it's so good 
Yeah, that's objectively that's, that I mean that one could I think be objectively could be number one. Yeah, yeah, it could be number one. I think I my think, I think my personal favorite though is probably with Ahsoka. So Ahsoka in in Clone Wars against Maul is pretty excellent at the end of that. Yeah, I think it's like the, pretty, the penultimate. Yeah. I think it's the the second to last episode or the third to last episode. She faces off Maul in Mandalore, basically, and like they're fighting mm-hmm. in the rafters, and she basically just like has to break out some sort of just sick acrobatic stunt to like turn the <laughs> lightsaber on him at the end like an it, unbelievable unbelievable fight uh, and uh, like i think that some of the fights in clone wars are, it's not fair that they happen in, in the animated world because there's zero way like that what ahsoka does in the clone wars like could be shown on live action screen like the stunt yeah, that she pulls off right. and whatnot like d- jumping from I- you know 50,000 feet in the air basically like <laughs> <laughs> i gotta i gotta add one honorable mention uh luke versus vader uh return iconic, of the jedi iconic i mean when luke really just at the end when he kind of loses and I, it and i and think that the skill bit. level of that fight is better than any other lightsaber fight in the original three trilogy yep i would agree i mean just so emotional he knows it's his dad he knows mm-hmm. why he's fighting he doesn't really want to fight and then at the end when luke just goes crazy there's that sad music in the back it's just like you want him to win, but you're also like, oh no, yeah. like you're fighting, you know. Yeah. And then, and then ultimately, with you know Vader's redemption, saving Luke from the Emperor with the the lightning, just beautiful. Star Wars is amazing, man. Yeah. It's, it's such a gift. And, and if you like evil sword fighters too, Palpatine it's actually his best fight. I think skill level wise is actually in Clone Wars when he faces off against Darth Maul. Or yeah, Maul. for sure, for sure. I think when he faces Maul, that's when he breaks out the two lightsabers. And he's I'll fighting all two lightsabers. I think it's like time. season five or something like that of Clone Wars. Unbelievable so fight. Good. And he basically is like, you've grown into a, a rival, he calls Maul. And he like mm-hmm. he just tries to kill Maul and Maul barely survives. And uh, that was a really good Palpatine, Palpatine fight. But so fun, man. I love the Star Wars chatter. I could talk I never about get it all day, it. dude. I just I I, oh, uh, yeah. I really enjoy Star Wars. Looking forward to this new content coming out for this world for sure. Oh yeah. All right, nowhere Nick. to go but up. <laughs> nowhere to go, bro. nowhere to go from here but up. And we got a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of bright things on the horizon. Baseball is around the corner. Star Wars Obi Wan is ca- coming out in May. We got a lot of things to be excited about. Nick, I'm glad we got to flesh this stuff out on the podcast, and uh, really appreciate you joining me, buddy. Yeah, man, always a pleasure. Thanks for thinking of me. Thanks for having me. All right, give me something. You what are you, what are you plugging right now? Just your social media. You got anything going in, in the works? Uh, yeah, baseball Nick 25. There's no K in Nick, baseball NIC 25. Uh, I'm gonna be doing some cool giveaways of um, baseball merch. Uh, I'm, Twitter is gonna be it's gonna be hot coming up in baseball season. Obviously, being a big baseball fan, I uh, do a lot of work on Twitter. But if you're a Padres fan, especially, keep an eye out. Follow me on Twitter. Um, we're g- giving some cool stuff away. Yeah. As you know, Ben, I work in the baseball industry, so Nick, Nick I'm Garone, excited for that. The the greatest employee at one of the greatest glove companies in in, in Major League Baseball. <laughs> so he, he's he's oh, an yeah. up and comer. Keep an eye out. Keep an eye out for this guy. He's you can't you can't look past him. Watch me on the field for the gold glove presentations. Yeah, Nick's, that's Nick's future for sure. <laughs> Aside from his his own show here on on uh, the All Things Analysis podcast network, that's inevitable. Right? <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get we'll, there, baby. We'll get there. All right, buddy. It was great talking with you. I appreciate you doing this. All right, Benny. All right, take care. All right, that's gonna do it here for the podcast. Thanks again to Nick for coming on the pod. Really appreciate you joining me. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Vicious Talk with Benny P on all your podcast platforms. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to ask yourself at the end of the day, are you vicious? <laughs>